From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. If you've got a question for Father Wade, grab one of these open phone lines. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com. Or you can text your question, text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response, text your first name and your question, message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky. And Michael McCall doubling up on our social media efforts, uh, doing his best Charles Beery impersonation, I've just been told. So <laughs> Charles Beery is handling our social media efforts for uh, Open Line Tuesday. Our host, there is no mistake there, however, our very favorite itinerant missionary preacher, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? Great, Jack. Did you hear the bells of St. Michael's just now? Not the bells of St. Mary's, but the <laughs> bells of St. Michael's. I am in Long Branch, New Jersey, during this hour of Divine Mercy live at this 3 o'clock hour. Not Open Line Tuesday at 2 in Kentucky, but Open Line Tuesday at 3 from New Jersey. Last week, Hillmar, California. The week before that, Livermore, California. It's great to be here this week at St. Michael's Parish in Long Branch, Jack, and a shout-out to Father John Butler, who has invited the Fathers of Mercy in a second time to preach to his flock, and to his associate pastor, Father Mark Nilo. So both of those gentlemen, a a shout-out to them. They've been great hosts, have enjoyed their camaraderie and their fraternity since my arrival on Friday evening. And they have obviously been keeping you very busy because you didn't even have the time or the good grace to provide me with the detailed overview of today's springboard topic that you normally do. That's that's exactly right, because I'm going to use just a mix mash of notes for today's springboard, precisely because it's tonight's talk for the second night of the parish mission. It's titled, Be Other-Centered. And in order to be other-centered, as opposed to the opposite of that, which is being self-centered, we have to love. But we can't stop there. You have to qualify the love. To be other-centered, we have to love, indeed. But we have to love in an ordered way not in a disordered way. We need to love in an ordinate way as opposed to an inordinate way. So the springboard topic today, foreshadowing tonight's talk, because we have some of the parishioners listening live this week right now uh, from St. Michael's Parish in Long Branch, what are some of the things that hinder us from loving in an ordered way? What are some of the things that hinder us from loving in an ordered way? Well, before I do that, I want to read the beginning of chapter 13 of St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not pompous. Love is not inflated. Love is not rude. Love does not seek out its own interests. Love is not quick-tempered. 
Love does not brood over injuries received. Love does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but love rejoices with the truth. Now, I'm going to read it again, just like I just did. But for all of our listeners right now listening live, wherever I say the word love, when I reread this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, whenever I say the word love, put in your own first name. Are we ready? Everybody fasten your seatbelt. Put in your own first name where I say love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not pompous. Love is not inflated. Love is not rude. Love does not seek out its own interests. Love is not quick-tempered. Love does not brood over injuries received. Love does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but indeed, love rejoices in the truth. We need to love in an ordered way, not a disordered way. We need to love in an ordinate way and not in an inordinate way. So what are some of the things that hold us back from loving appropriately? And I invite some of our callers today to maybe give a witness call as to what finally woke them up to something that they love disordered. Was it maybe an issue with alcohol and you had the courage finally to enroll in AA? Maybe it was an immoral relationship that was pulling you down in a life of sin and you finally got out of it. Maybe it was recreational drug use. Maybe it was prescription drug use. Maybe uh, you had a friendship that was too disordered. Uh, Show me your friends and I'll show you your life, as the old maxim says. Uh, Garbage in, garbage out, but uh, virtue in, virtue out. So maybe it was a bad friendship. Uh, Give us a witness call. But what are some of the things that hold us back, Jack, from loving in an ordered way? Well, fear, anxiety, doubt, or worry can hold us back. And maybe it's a fear, doubt, anxiety, or worry that dates back to a person's childhood, huh? Well, our Lord wants you healed. You're now 67 years old, let's say. Our Lord wants you healed. What are the words after the Our Father at every Mass we attend? Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, I leave you peace. My peace I give you. In other words, he wants to give us his peace, huh? He doesn't want us to fall to pieces, right? How about selfish ambition? Maybe that holds us back from loving in an ordered way. How about preconceived notions of how things should be? And when things don't go your way, you become very disgruntled and upset about it, huh? So preconceived notions can lead to resentment. Preconceived notions can also lead beforehand to what's called rash judgment. How about taking advantage of another, the sin of utilitarianism or the sin of utility? Uh, being with the person or, or, or having a friendship with them only because you know you can get this from them. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's immorality but you're with them only for utilitarian purposes. These are things that hold us back from loving in an ordered way. Uh, The need to be right, maybe that holds you back from loving appropriately. How about workaholism, perfectionism, stubbornness, unbending pride? How about jealousies or spirits of competition? How about recreational drug addiction? How about prescription drug addiction? Maybe these things hold you back from loving in an ordered way, and you need to seek out the appropriate help, huh? How about arrogance or insecurities of any sort? We need to be healed of anything that prevents us. Now, that's just my list, Jack, from being a priest for 21 years and giving spiritual direction and hearing confessions, and I say that in a very general sense, not mentioning any one sin per se, and surely not mentioning any person's name per se, but that's a list of 21 years of being a priest. Now, you thought my list was strong? How about St. Paul's list from Galatians 5, things that hold us back from loving in an ordered way? Lewd I've, conduct. I've barely recovered from First Corinthians chapter thirteen, but I'll I'll <laughs> yeah, fasten my se- I'll fasten my seatbelts here. <laughs> Jack, you're our first witness. You're our first witness caller. <laughs> 
Now, everybody thought my list might have been strong. You know, fear, doubt, anxiety, worry, utilitarianism, etc., etc. How about St. Paul's list from Galatians 5? Lewd conduct, impurities, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery and the occult, hostilities, bickering, jealousies, outbursts of rage, even amongst family members, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, sexual orgies, and the like, huh? Things that hold us back from loving in an ordered way. Now, we might have thought St. Paul's list was strong from Galatians 5. How about our Lord's list from Mark 7? Jesus' own words, things that hold us back from loving in an ordered way. Are we ready for this? Evil thoughts, unchastities, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy, arrogance, and utter folly. So we need to love in an ordered way, right? Uh, An ordered love means that we have a proper detachment. And what does detachment mean? According to St. Thomas Aquinas, we love persons, places, and things the way God intends us to love them. That's what a proper detachment means, huh? And hence, detachment in its authentic definition and sense uh, protects us from establishing inordinate attachments to persons, places, and things, huh? Again, this theological definition of detachment does not negate the existence of love. In fact, detachment is precisely about loving things perfectly. So I want to invite our callers, and I'm not afraid to admit that my list, my, my list of things that I gave first, some of those elements are my own, that I'm attempting to grow in or, praise God, have grown out of. Uh, but some of those things were my own, huh? But the, the, I could be a little bit of a, of a workaholic now and again, especially when the missions go full swing during Lent and Advent and the, and the Easter season. i got to learn to step back and, and take a breath. Huh? Workaholism is not good. Slothfulness, its opposite, is not good either. So whether suffering from slothfulness or workaholism, we got to practice the virtue of diligence. Do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, and the way it's supposed to be done. The workaholic gets three months ahead. The slothful person gets three months behind. The fact is, we need to be diligent in our daily duties. And that's what this week's parish mission is about here at St. Michael's Parish in Long Branch, New Jersey, on the Jersey Shore, just a seven-minute walk to the beautiful Atlantic. And uh, the overall title of the parish mission is Work Out Your Salvation. Talk number one last night was titled Be Faithful to Your Daily Duty. Tonight's talk is Be Other-Centered. And tomorrow night's talk is titled Understand the Reality of Vice and Virtue. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. From Rome to your home with news from EWTN's Vatican Bureau, you can watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have TV access. By using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home via streams. You can watch uh, live on EWTN's YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's EWTN's Vatican Bureau, live from Rome to your home. 
Uh, phone lines are wide open for you at 833-288-EWTN. How did you stack up with those lists of things that uh, hinder an ordered love? We'd love to hear about it at 833-288-3986. First up today is Tony in Naples, Florida, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Uh, Tony, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father. Um, I'm having a real difficult time uh, and have been for years and years trying to wrap my head around how Mary is our perfect example here on earth. Yet she was conceived without sin and therefore did not struggle with concupiscence. And everybody else in the world suffers with concupiscence. So without that struggle of the desire to sin, if you will, concupiscence, um, how is how is she the example for us? How how do you relate? To, how can I relate well, to that? And that's great, my biggest struggle. Is how- great question, Tony. The Church teaches that Mary never sinned venially or mortally. Uh, there's a, there, that's held by everyone universally. For example, the Dominican school and the Franciscan school. Um, where Adam and Eve, our first parents, were created in a state of original justice and could have sinned and did, Mary was conceived in a state of original justice and could have sinned but didn't. Remember, concupiscence in and of itself is not sinful. Concupiscence in and of itself is simply the tendency towards sin, and this is where the, the, the Dominican school and the Franciscan school uh, differ a little bit in, in how we would hold whether or not Mary had concupiscence, the tendency, and yet could have sinned but never did, or didn't have the tendency at all. The fact is, she did not sin venially or mortally, because no stain of sin could have been in the, in the vessel that held the God-man Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of her immaculate conception being conceived without the original sin in her mother's womb, St. Anne. A lot of people, especially uh, non-Catholics, think that the immaculate conception is all about Jesus being conceived in Mary's womb. No, that's the sacred incarnation on March 25th, and we celebrate Christmas nine months to the day later on December 25th. That's the Feast of the Sacred Incarnation, officially called the the Feast of the Annunciation, when Gabriel, the archangel, announces to Mary that she's been chosen to be the mother of God, and she gives her fiat, Latin for let it be done. Um, Mary's Immaculate Conception is all about her being conceived without the original sin in her mother's womb, St. Anne's womb, And we celebrate that on December 8th. And then what happens on the Church's Universal Calendar nine months to the day later on September 8th? We celebrate the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin, okay? Just like we celebrate another great precursor to the God-man Jesus Christ, the one par excellence, uh, his cousin John the Baptist, okay? So we celebrate his birth as well, the Nativity of John the Baptist. We also celebrate the, the, the Nativity of Mary. And notice that we celebrate the Nativity of Mary nine months after her Immaculate Conception. On December 8th, we celebrate her Nativity on September 8th. So uh, the concupiscence in and of itself is not sinful. It's simply described by the Church's definition as the tendency towards sin, and the different schools of thought, theological thought, uh, can hold different things, but all have to hold universally that she never did sin, um, uh, 
uh, at all, actually, an actual sin, meaning a mortal or a venial sin, also called a personal sin, meaning simply a mortal or venial sin. Whenever you see the phrases actual sin um, or personal sin, it simply means a mortal or venial sin. So, for example, in the doctrine of baptism, the church teaches that baptism not only wipes away the original sin, baptism also wipes away any personal sin or actual sin, meaning mortal or venial sin. So if you have a 27-year-old, let's say, enter the Catholic Church uh, at the Easter Vigil who's never, ever, ever been baptized, um, and he or she is, is going to enter the Church fully with a baptism at the Easter Vigil in the Catholic Church precisely because they've never been baptized, the pastor of that parish does not have to have them go to confession first. There's no need, because the baptism at the Easter Vigil will wipe away not only the original sin, but also any personal or actual sin, meaning, again, simply mortal or venial sin. So we hold that Mary never sinned actually or personally, i.e., either mortally or venially. Whether she had the tendency to concupiscence, you have different schools of thought there. So, for example, if, if Mary's out playing with two of her girlfriends as an adolescent 11 to 12-year-old, and St. Anne calls her to come, dinner's ready, and Mary sighs because she loves her friends and she doesn't want to leave her friends and she kind of sighs. Not That's not sinful against her mother that she sighed, that, that she's been called for supper and she now has to leave her friends. That's not sinful. So we could hold that Mary, as a, as a loving adolescent who loves her two little friends, could have sighed and thought, oh, gee, it's supper time now. There's nothing sinful about that. But yet, yet such a response is a tug of concupiscence. It's a tug. It's not sinful, but it's a tug of concupiscence. Did Mary have that or not? Well, I doubt Mary was robotic to the point that when St. Anne called her for supper, yes, mother, I am coming immediately, and showed no emotion toward that at all at having to leave her two little girlfriends right now at that moment. You know, so, so you can hold the different schools of thought as long as you hold universally that Mary never sinned actually or personally. Great question, Tony. Thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. We've got a couple of open lines for you at 833-288-3986. Charles is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's also listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Charles, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Charles. What's your question today? Hello. Hi, Charles. Go right ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah. I was just, you just, uh, I didn't know what to say when the guy answered the phone. He just, uh, he just asked what was holding you back. The answer was, you know, the negative music within the secular world. Um, that can hold you back from becoming a member of the church. Um, what you need to, people need to do is they just need to hold on to their rosary and pray it every day and not worry about life and the things that all your uh, misportrays of what will be good and bad will unfold as long as you pray the rosary and Mary will bless you and Jesus will bless you with what needs to be come in your life. That's what I believe. Yeah, Mary has one goal, and she said it at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. No glory is for herself. 
No kudos are for herself. She wants to lead us only to her divine son, who is the chief mediator between God and man, capital C, capital M, leads us to the Father in the Holy Spirit. And, and you're right, And uh, the, the rosary is a powerful tool which recalls the mysteries of Christ via recalls the mysteries of our salvation via the mysteries of Christ. For example, um, the, the, the sorrowful mysteries, the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, uh, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, and the crucifixion. Those are the five sorrowful mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary. They're all Christocentric. They're all Christocentric. Even the two last glorious mysteries, which are the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Coronation, are only made possible because of the merits won for Mary from the cross, because all human beings benefit from the paschal mystery of the passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord into heaven. But where we receive those merits from the cross after the historical fact of the cross, Mary received those merits from the cross in anticipation of the cross that had not yet taken place. This is why she was able to be immaculately conceived in her mother's womb, St. Anne's womb, prior to the historical reality of the cross having taken place, or uh, more appropriately, prior to the, to the historical fact of the entire Paschal mystery, that four-event event of Christ's passion, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven for each one of us. Great question. I mean, a great statement, Charles. Uh, uh, it wasn't so much a question, it was a statement. And, and you're right, Mary is our advocate. This is why one of her uh, chief titles in, in her litany is advocate, and, and she is. She, she's a helper. Uh, she's, she's an advocate. She wants to lead us to her son. Thank you so much for that call from Tulsa, Oklahoma. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. And the reason, uh, by the way, that really all three persons of the Trinity can trust Mary with the tasks that they've assigned to her is because her heart is completely conformed to her sons, huh? That's exactly right. Her Immaculate Heart, which we have a devotion to, say the Five First Saturday devotion and all in the Immaculate Heart, which we receive from Sister Lucia, the oldest of the three Fatima seers, from her time in the Dorothean convent in the 1940s before she became a Carmelite. Um, we we uh, see devotion to her Immaculate Heart as fully in conformity with the Sacred Heart of Jesus. That's exactly right. And, and both hearts want us to conform our hearts to the heart of Christ. Christ wants us to conform our heart to his as the chief mediator, mediator to lead us to the Father through himself, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. And Mary's Immaculate Heart wants our hearts to conform to her Son's divine heart. So if somebody is a male from the ages of 18 to 40 or so, and they're thinking to themselves, Livermore, California, the Jersey Shore, that sounds like a pretty exciting <laughs> lifestyle. Where, where can they, they find information about maybe something that could lead them to that kind of a lifestyle themselves? Amen. Look at fathersofmercy.com and discover the Fathers of Mercy. We are an itinerant missionary preaching order based in Auburn, Kentucky. And we travel throughout the United States and Canada and Australia primarily, but other countries as well, at the invitation of pastors of parishes and priests associated with different uh, events like Catholic family conferences, day-long retreats, such as a father-son retreat or a mother-daughter retreat. We preach according to what we are called in to do, and we cater to the need of the pastor or the priest or the lay organization that has a priest chaplain who invites us in. And we travel mostly extensively throughout the United States, although I 
I still have seven states I have not yet preached in, Jack. I've preached in the others, but seven still hold out on me. I'm trying to get those fulfilled just out of a personal uh, desire to be able to say that I've preached in all 50 states. But look at fathersofmercy.com, read more about us, and then write our vocation director, Father Ken Geraci, at vocations at fathersofmercy.com. That's the word vocation with an S. Vocations at fathersofmercy.com and schedule a come and see weekend with him. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Todd in the great state of Utah, and we've got plenty of time for your phone calls. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. As advertised, we head to the great state of Utah. Todd is in Utah listening on Salt and Light Radio. Todd, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi there. I was wondering, the the Bible teaches us to pray directly to Jesus, and it seems like I hear there's a point where you can pray to uh, Mary, for example, and I'm wondering who would you suggest I pray to if I want to try to protect my children, for example, from being molested by them. Yeah, great question. Uh, we we pray to Jesus Christ always, always, and also to the Father and to the Son. Uh, excuse me, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Scripture does not stop just with praying to Jesus, and we ask Mary for her intercession. Is what we're doing. What what you're asking is is if we pray to her. The more appropriate thing to say would be, no, we don't. We ask her intercession uh, for us as a loving mother, as the mother of God, as the Theotokos, as the Council of Ephesus in 451 AD defined her as, uh, the mother of God, the Theotokos. And we ask her to intercede for us, um, just as you would ask your mother to pray for you to God that you get that job that you're hoping for. Hey, Mom, Mom, I think the interview went great. Please offer up some prayers for me, Mom, that I get that job if it be God's most holy will. N- no difference there. No difference there with your spiritual mother, the Blessed Virgin. Great question. Thank you so much, Todd, from Utah. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Maria. She's in Seattle, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Maria, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, um, I'm calling because I hope I can I hope I can state this without rambling on forever. Um, I have a cousin who's fallen away from the church. Um, also, I think he's tending to follow athe- fall into atheism. Um, his biggest thing that he struggles with is suffering, and not necessarily so much the suffering of humans. I think he can understand that we make choices and we bring a lot on ourselves. But what I think he really struggles with now is the suffering of animals and not even necessarily human suffering at the hands of animals, but the way animals have to suffer even, you know, out in the wild, the way they have to hunt each other down. And, you know, like it takes hours sometimes for an animal to succeed in a hunt and the other animals suffering. And and when an animal can no longer hunt and, you know, they just suffer and die. Um, so... I I did not have an answer for him when he was talking about that. The only thing I could think of later was that um, the fall, when Adam and Eve fell, there was so much damage done to creation that that's part of the fallout. Um, 
Yeah. But I don't know if there's anything that's been written about that. I don't necessarily see anything in Genesis that says that, you know, animals were able to, um, you know, eat and whatever without, you know, suffering. And so anyway, I'm just, there's my question, I think. <laughs> yeah, great question. Well, well, his concern about the animals does deal with the fall. It does deal with... Uh, the creation and the the perfect state of original justice, not only for human persons, our first parents, but also for the entire state of the created world. The world was created in a state of original justice, but the original sin disrupted that, the two chief effects of which are a, a, a weakened will and a darkened intellect, when before the fall we had a strengthened will and an enlightened intellect. So the Church Fathers writing in the first seven centuries tell us that those are the two chief effects of the fall. Huh? So uh, I would recommend that your brother try to get an Aquinas reader on creation, and, and like a Summa, there, Monsignor Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, uh, I forget his first name. I think it's uh, Monsignor, I want to say Charles Glenn, but I, it may not be that. Monsignor Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, um, on his, his Aquinas reader that breaks down the Summa Theologica, the, the, the philosophical masterpiece and theological masterpiece of St. Thomas Aquinas was his Summa Theologica, or Theologiae, you can pronounce it either way. And uh, Monsignor Glenn does a tour of the Summa, is what it's called, a tour of the Summa, S-U-M-M-A, in reference to the Summa Theologica or the Summa Theologiae. And uh, it's in, presented in simple layman's terms, and then your brother would want to read the earlier part of the Summa on the creation of the world and the creation of man, and exactly what the fall did. It's in simple layman's terms. It's a great text. Uh, I go to it a lot still, even for homiletics, to be able to present a theological point during a homily in simple layman's terms rather than use deep theological thoughts or quotes. It's just a fantastic, fantastic work. And that's something that uh, that would I think would, would help him greatly. He'd also be looking at um, uh, a preeminent, a preeminent uh, church father, St. Thomas, who actually was later, was in the 13th century. Um, uh, and so uh, uh, He's not exactly one of the church fathers of the of the of the first seven centuries, but he sure has a lot to offer, and preeminently so. Even today, in when studying for the priesthood, um, we study the Summa Theologica both in pre-theology and in philosophy. So I, w- I would recommend that. I'm looking up the title right now uh, to get Monsignor Glenn's first name Paul. for you. What is it? Paul. Uh, is it Paul Glenn? It's Paul. Okay, for the tour of the Summa. Yes, that's right. Okay. All right, there you go. Thank you so much for a great question. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. That frees up a line for you. 833-288-3986. Next up is Susan in Alexandria, Louisiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Susan, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. I'm um, questioning about Mary's infused knowledge that she might have had or she had as the new Eve, the same knowledge that Eve had. So she was she surprised when the when Gabriel announced to her that she would be the mother of God. Great, great question. Um, we see in her response to Gabriel, uh, "How can this be? Since I do not know man." We see her innocence there in the Gospel of St. Luke. Uh, Mary was so open to the Holy Spirit, the Church teaches, 
that she was easily led to the truth by her own will to say yes. And God revealed things to her in an ordered fashion, not so much that the things were already infused in her, the phrase infused knowledge, uh, but that she was so open to the power of the Holy Spirit, and having been uh, conceived without original sin, so she did not have the darkened intellect and the weakened will, but retained strongly the enlightened intellect and the strengthened will, that she, that she was able to uh, easily be led to the truths that were being presented before her. So, for example, when Gabriel says, well, the way this will come about, Mary, is that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, she didn't stand there and argue with Gabriel. She accepted it. And so that mystery gradually was, that, that mystery was accepted immediately, and then gradually it unfolded before her. Uh, again, at the finding of the child Jesus in the temple, she says, did you not know that your father and I were looking for you for these last three days? And Jesus responds to her, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? So Mary didn't have the infused knowledge of where Jesus was exactly when he was lost for those three days. They had to go looking for him. There was no infused knowledge there. But she understood fully when Jesus responds to her uh, what he meant by that. And again, so another mystery naturally unfolded before her. This is another reason why Mary is a great one to be a, an, an intercessor on, on, behalf, on our behalf. She intercedes for us before a divine son because she was in perfect harmony with, with, with what needed to be done to be a faithful Christian disciple to her son's message, and she wants to lead us to him. So that openness, that, that fullness of spirit, hail full of grace, the fullness of the seven gifts, the 12 fruits working in her, she's led more easily to the unfurling of truths that are presented to her. That's what we would hold. Great question. Thank you so much. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Couple and by, the, by the way, Jack, yep. if I may add this, we're, we are conceived in a, in a state of original sin that's wiped away at baptism, along with any personal or actual sins, if, if we're baptized after the age of reason, after we can sin around age seven. Um, but we can still pray daily for the seven gifts and the 12 fruits. This is why remaining in a state of sanctifying grace is so important, simply meaning not being knowledgeably aware of any mortal sin on your soul. If you can stop at any given point of the day and say to your inmost heart of hearts and mean it, you know what, to the best of my sincerest of knowledge, I'm not aware of any mortal sin on my soul. That is to say, grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will. If you can stop at any given point of the day and say that, you have the moral certitude, moral certitude, that you're in a state of sanctifying grace. And what does that mean? That means that you have the seven gifts and the 12 fruits working in you and living in you, even though they still may be small and infantile in you, and they have to be worked in order to grow in you, like fortitude or courage has to be worked with different uh, activities and, and situations in your life to have courage and fortitude grow. But, it, it, but it's there. It's there. It's there in infantile form. I pray daily for an increase of the seven gifts and the 12 fruits uh, to be open to the Spirit, just as Mary was uh, naturally open to the Spirit. Uh, I pray that I can be supernaturally open to the Spirit. 833-288-3986. Uh, several open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls here on EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Next up is Lori in Billings, Montana, listening on Billings Catholic Radio. Lori, you are on with Father Wade. Um, hi. I just was listening to your list of um, loving wrong, and I thought it was really amazing. And I just wanted to give a, a, my thing what happened. Um, I was married for 20 years to um, 
a man who was actually had a mental illness, but a really good mental illness. Um, he was abusing me and my kids, basically. And um, he told many churches that I was doing things, and they told me I just had to forgive everything he did. Um, and it was really hard. I was like, one church I said, I can't forgive him for punching my son in the face. And they said, you have to. And it's like, until I heard your radio station um, say, you know, you don't just forgive somebody. You could, I could have walked away. It would have saved my kids a lot of pain and me. And I didn't. So I did that for 20 years. And it was a little bit of insanity. And it was kind of like picking and choosing things out of the Bible. You can't just, just can't take one verse and do that. And um, so basically, I think that's a really now, good you... example of loving wrong. Uh, an example of I mean wrong, yeah, and you have a right to protect yourself and your kids. At the same time, you do want to eventually forgive him. You want to move towards forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness is not a feeling; it's an act of the will. That said, you have, and you don't have to go into detail what what he was doing that was endangering, literally endangering your your you and your kids' lives. You don't have to go into that, but you have a right to protect yourself. You have a right even to get law enforcement involved if it comes to that. At the same time, you do want to eventually forgive him with a deliberate and firm act of the will, especially knowing that he suffers from mental illness. How much uh, culpability, i.e. guilt, how much culpability or guilt was truly wittingly there, or was he doing these things unwittingly, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, that is, precisely because of the mental illness? That said, those in the various churches that you and he attended— uh, you have down here Protestant churches that you and he attended, uh, they should have been there guiding you and helping you that if there was an actual endangerment, that yes, you need to at least separate yourself to be safe, to ensure the safeness, and then to get him the appropriate psychological help that he needs, both counseling and medication, if it comes to that. Um, and, and, and they should not have been telling you just to stay there. Like you said, it's an example of loving wrongly. The true love wants to get the offender help, Again, psychologically or with meds, and the same time you have a time to get your you you have the right, excuse me, to get yourself to safety and your children. And number three, you do want to forgive him, especially because of the mental illness. You can question how much of this was he knowingly doing, how much of this was he not knowingly doing, wittingly or unwittingly. And uh, you know, canon law even teaches that for Catholic marriages, fully Catholic marriages, you have a right to separate before going straight to an to a divorce. You have a right to separate. Why? The separation can prove medicinal. We can save an imperfect marriage, okay, that seemingly is imperfect. Um, I like to say that a perfect marriage is an imperfect husband and an imperfect wife who absolutely refuse to give up on one another. That's a perfect marriage, an imperfect husband and an imperfect wife who absolutely refuse to give up on one another. Well, in this case, the, the wife refusing to give up on the marriage can include a period of separation so that he can get the help he needs. She loves him so much, she has such an ordered love for him, she wants to make sure that he gets help. A disordered love would say, well, to heck with this, I'm out of here, okay? So you want to be able to see if the person can truly, sincerely get the help they need, especially if you have reason to believe there's a, a mental illness present. Great witness call. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your call, Lori, from Billings, Montana. Still time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 
888-900-3986. Be sure to join Father Benedict Groeschel tonight for the Holy Rosary. Uh, it's Tuesday, so they'll be praying the Sorrowful Mysteries. Uh, beautiful presentation of the Holy Rosary tonight, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. And by the way, do you had a couple a uh, couple more words you wanted to say about this whole notion of hindering and ordered love. Yeah, that's right. You know, Galatians 5 tells us you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, well, who's your neighbor? Well, it's your literal next-door neighbor, but it's also your parents, it's your sibling, it's your spouse, it's your teenager. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The dignity and worth that you want others to see about you and in you, you need to be willing to give to others to have that ordered love, huh? And Romans 12 says, your love must be sincere. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. And this last caller, I think, was indeed detesting what was evil, how she was being treated, uh, and cling to what is good. Clinging to the good in that particular case of that last caller would be wanting to get the spouse the appropriate help he needs. Um, and then Romans 12 continues, do not be uh, slack, but rather be fervent in spirit. He whom you serve as the Lord and calls you to persevere in prayer. Uh, and then 1 John 2 says, the man who claims to be in the light, hating his brother all the while, is in darkness even now. Well, that, true enough, that's not an ordered love. That's a disordered love. He who claims to be in the light, hating his brother all the while, is in darkness even now. And then Matthew 5 tells us, he who even says to his brother, you fool, will be held liable to the fires of hell. And that's Jesus' own words, by the way. He who even says to his brother, you fool, will be held liable to the fires of hell. So we want to have these reconciliations. doesn't mean that you have to be the person's best bud, but you want to will the best for them. You want to desire the good, the true, and the beautiful for them. Ian is in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Ian, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, Father Wade, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was just learning about Socrates the other day. I have this moral question. Um, you know, it seemed like he, he obviously lived before Christ, but it seemed like he was a martyr for the truth that he knew. He was monotheistic, and then he was sentenced to death because uh, he didn't renounce what he thought was true. And But then they made him drink the hemlock to poison himself, and I was wondering— what would moral, a Catholic moral theology say about somebody being sentenced to death, but then having to administer the poison to themselves? Would that be suicide? Um, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, suicide properly defined is willed. It's willed, okay? Uh, there's arguments, of course, that, that Socrates, Socrates did not will to drink the hemlock but that he was forced to drink the hemlock. Remember, uh, in order to sin anything in any way, uh, suicide or, or some other sin, uh, you have to will it. Grave matter, which, which self-killing is, uh, grave matter done with fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter, and done with deliberate consent of your will. I think Socrates, in his pursuance of truth, even though he didn't have Christ's revelation to know, because he came, be, he came before Christ, I think he would know that taking one's own life would be grave matter, okay? And he had that fullness of knowledge that it was grave matter to do so, but he surely didn't do it with full consent of his will. 
So that would be the church's teaching. Remember, that's, those are the three elements that are the, the three constitutive elements for a mortal sin to be present. If one or two or all three of them are missing, then you have a venial sin or no sin at all. Okay? Uh, if, if all three are missing, you have no sin. If one or two of them are missing, you have a venial sin. But if all three are present, you have a mortal sin. There is sin that is deadly and sin that is not deadly, First John tells us. This is the church's chief scriptural passage for venial versus mortal sin. There is a difference of a seven-year-old who's just entered the age of reason, checking out of, of, the, of the supermarket with, with mommy in front of them, paying for their groceries. And when mommy's not looking, they take a pack of gum and put it in their pocket. And they know that what they're doing is wrong. There's something different from that via, the, say, the 22-year-old the, the male who purposely and forcefully uh, encourages his girlfriend to get the abortion and even drives her there, even pays for it. Okay, there is sin that is, that is uh, deadly and sin that is not deadly, okay? So stick, taking a stick of gum from a major conglomerate store, although it's wrong to do, it's not constitutive of grave matter, the first of the three elements for mortal sin, grave matter done with fullness of knowledge that it's grave, grave matter, and done with deliberate consent of your will. In the first case with the seven-year-old, I think we can only say that they did it with full consent of their will. It wasn't necessarily grave matter from a conglomerate store's point of view. They're not going to lose anything off of it, but it was still wrong for the seven-year-old to do that behind mama's back. Uh, and and did, did they even have the fullness of knowledge that it, that it was not grave matter, but still wrong to do? But they did it with their fullness of will. Okay, because they've entered that age of reason, where and and it's something similar with with uh, Socrates drinking the hemlock. There was no fullness of will when they his his uh, his killing squad forced him to do it. So the church would say that even though it's it's objectively uh, mortal to to kill yourself in this particular subject of Socrates, it was subjectively uh, venial. Uh, he, he could have he, he, he could have said, "Kill me another way, kill me with 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 your own tools so that i don 't need to do it myself, but I refuse to kill myself, but we don 't know what kind of predicament he was in at that very moment so so I would say that the church would hold that there was clearly not fullness of will great question and great a great question that leads to semper distingue of, of thomas aquinas that 's Latin for always distinguish." always distinguished. But for mortal sin, it has to be grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Zachary in Madison, Wisconsin, watching us on YouTube today. Zachary, you are on with Father Wade. Hey, hello, Father. I wanted to ask, what are the first signs or steps to discernment for either religious life, whether that is monasticism or priesthood, or for even marriage? Okay, great question. Well, for a possible vocation to the priesthood, whether diocesan or religious order, I can only give you my, my own personal experience. I felt very called to a particular apostolate, having a strong media background, both uh, print and broadcast, which began with agricultural journalism because of my ag background, both print and broadcast for the agricultural industry, and then that led to some freelance work, primarily writing, for uh, Catholic publications, which led me then to discern the priesthood. And I wanted to, to look for an, a religious order that carried out the new evangelization of John Paul II that he was then calling for to be carried out in a journalistic fashion, both print and broadcast. And so that, that was my, my goal. I didn't feel called necessarily to the diocesan priesthood to staff a parish, be present with the people there in one location. 
I felt that God was calling me to use my talents, and there, there's nothing prideful about acknowledging one's talents. In fact, it's good to, to see them what they are and want to improve upon them and better them. I wanted, and I, and I needed to improve mine and better mine, to use them for the greater glory of God, and I felt very strongly to the priesthood. I also had good priest friends who I knew who kept asking me, you know, you should think about the priesthood, uh, at least discern it, at least do, come some, do con- some come and see weekends. So that was my distinction between uh, religious order versus diocesan. But I also thought about marriage first. And up until age 28, I can honestly say there were two relationships, one in high school through junior college, and then one in my first four-year college, where I dated three to four years uh, and then discerned that I was not called to marriage. And with the second relationship, I knew that I was called to at least discern the priesthood, to go make some come and see weekends. In fact, I had a great spiritual director, a diocesan priest at the time, who actually ended up joining a religious order later, and he's still with that religious order, the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. He said, you know, you, you can't double date. He says, you can't go do come and see weekends while still dating this young woman. He says, if you love her and she loves you, you will be willing to take some months off to where you can go do these come and see weekends. And, and she, she and I discerned that, and she waited for me very lovingly. And I, we took off three months for me to go discern that. And then uh, I discerned that I had to look further into the priesthood after that. And that's when we definitively broke up so that she herself could have the freedom, as she felt called to marriage, to pursue chaste courtship with other men. And that's when we definitively called it off after my three-month discernment of doing come and see weekends. So that was my story, discerning between the diocesan and the religious order priesthood, and also marriage. Uh, I would ask you, if, if I was your spiritual director, and I knew that you were receiving Eucharist and reconciliation regularly, the two of the seven sacraments that can be received over and over again with much frequency, I would want to ask you, okay, you're, you're practicing the sacraments regularly, you're not hiding anything, uh, you're, you're, not hide, you're not holding back or hiding any mortal sin, you're truly trying to make a, a sincere effort to move forward in a strong sacramental life of regular Eucharist and regular reconciliation. You've reconciled with those you've had fallen outs with, you have a strong prayer life, what do you feel called to? Priesthood or marriage or, or singlehood? And then go with that gut feeling and start discerning that particular gut feeling. Very quickly, Father Jenny in Des Moines, Iowa wants to know if it's rare for a priest to be a godfather. Not at all. I'm a godfather to about six or seven kids, relatives of mine and kids of friends of mine. Would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. And as my ink pen says, St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, social media maven Mr. Charles Beery, and our host, Father Wade Menezes. I'm Jack Williams. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless. <laughs>